This episode of the Fat or Future podcast is sponsored by, well, me and my diet crash course exclusively from Himalaya Podcast Networks. What is my diet crash course? Well, have you ever been curious about 20 of the top diets in the world? You wanted the cliff notes to all of them because you just don't want to read all the books. I have you covered with my diet crash course. 20 of the top diets in the world and maybe some you haven't heard of. Should you try them? What are they about? What does the research say? What does the research maybe not say? Himalaya.com forward slash diet and listen for free and use code diet to listen for two weeks of the Himalaya diet crash course exclusively on the Himalaya podcast player. Himalaya.com forward slash diet and I will see you there. Hey, what's up? It's Joey Thurman on this episode of the Fad or Future podcast. I have a doctor who actually lifts weights. What? Yes, Dr. Spencer Nadolsky, the memeologist, lipid specialist, metabolism expert. He's on this episode. We talk about metabolic rate, what increases your metabolism, what lowers it, what happens when you lose weight, what happens when you gain muscle tissue, this and so much more. And here's my conversation with Dr. Spencer Nadolsky. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Fat or Future podcast. Today, I have Dr. Spencer Nadolsky. Man, you were in a tank top because you're actually a doctor who lifts. Yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm Right after this, I'm working out, and I'm going on another podcast. <laughs> that, that, that's pretty good. Uh, most doctors... I don't even know if they know what a weight is or they're like, oh, do some cardio. So it, it's really interesting when I found you. I don't know if I found you on Instagram or Twitter. It might, it might have been Twitter. Uh, you're highly active uh, on there. What, what are all your handles? Basically, it's usually, I don't know if it's at Dr. Nadolsky there. I try to get at Dr. Spencer, but someone always has it. But uh, at Dr. Nadolsky, D-R-N-A-D-O-L-S-K-Y. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, I found you on there, and that was your tagline—a a doctor who actually lifts. I was like, right, let me yeah, yeah. check this guy. <laughs> check this guy. Out. Lifting is medicine. That's right. I completely agree with you, man. Uh, so you're a board-certified family and obesity physician. I've never actually heard of an obesity physician. Is that something you specialized in? Yeah, it's somewhat new. They are trying to get it much bigger because obviously most doctors should know about evidence-based, science-based weight loss as opposed to whatever HCG diet or whatever some of these doctors are promoting or B12 sure. shots. I also just got another uh, board in uh, lipidology, which is the study of like cholesterol and stuff. So kind of like a cardiometabolic specialist. You, nice. I, yeah. I, I try to promote lifestyle, but like I, I'm very, um, uh, I have a lot of knowledge in pharmacology as well, if needed. So yeah. uh, try to combine it all. Yeah, no, you got a lot, and then you uh, were a nationally ranked wrestler as well. Yeah, Dude, UNC, Chapel Hill, Tar Heels. That, that's pretty good. I mean, the wrestlers, I played hockey through college. Uh, these teeth are real, but nice. uh, the, the wrestlers always are just a different breed of animal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely we're, different, we're a different type of folk there. <laughs> okay, so are hockey players too. Have you ever been in a hockey locker room? The smell, like if, if you had to handle that, hockey equipment just reeks, dude. It yeah, just oh, I can imagine. <laughs> you can't really wash a lot of it. My wife's yeah. like, what the hell? She's like, yeah. can you put it somewhere else? Like, no, I can't leave expensive equipment out in the sun. It's just going to bake. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to buy new equipment because you break it in. So, um, yeah, we're much stinkier than wrestlers. 
Uh, you, you also, I mean, it's interesting because you wanted to help people online, which is really, I mean, well, now with kind of everything that's happening in the world, but you've been doing this for years now where you're mainly helping people online. Yeah, I, I thought the, the clinic was archaic. Uh, you know, for a lot of this stuff, you just don't need to see the person, the doctor in person. Kind of the old school way of thinking and, and kind of older patients will be like, no, no, I need to see my doctor in person. They're used to it, but kind of this newer generation, you realize like, look, how do you need to listen to their heart every single time? Do you need to listen to their lungs? Like whenever I go in and they're, I'm just there for a question because I couldn't get them online. Right. They're like listening to my heart and lungs. I'm like, that's not what I'm here for. You're not going to hear anything. I know you're going through the motions, but whatever. It's like, I'm a physician. I, I, I know what you're doing. Uh, patients, you know, they like that, that you're touching them and kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of healing you. But honestly, it's not needed unless you have a, a physical ailment. Yeah. So like, yeah, I'm just getting my thyroid checked you know, make sure every six months or whatever you're going to yeah. make sure your levels are, are fine. Do you really need to go in? Maybe if you're looking for signs of like hyperthyroidism, like you can get a little tremors and then you can check their deep tendon reflexes and things. But like, honestly, you can do most things via video. Yeah. And actually we're getting gizmos that can listen to your heart and lungs, like almost better than if you were there in the clinic because really? of how technology is and you can hear it through the computer. And you can do all sorts of things like, oh, wow, that's, that can actually look like that through the computer. It, it's interesting. Uh, we'll get there someday. We're not there just yet, but that's the future, especially with like, yeah, think about this pandemic COVID. It's like, you don't want people going into the clinic. Yes, you want, you should be able to assess people. Like if somebody's going down in tubes, you got to assess them and look at them physically. But like, right. we should be able to have guidelines that go like, look, hey, if you have these symptoms and you're not doing well, yeah, bring, bring, come in. And the thing is like, if you're not doing well with COVID, you're probably going to want to go to the emergency room anyway. So we should probably find a way to uh, triage patients correctly because you don't want to bring those people into the clinic. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's obviously right in our face now because what's going on, but and my son's two and a half years old. I'm going to take him in all the time for all these different things. And every time, like, you're right. They go through the motions. They, they put him on the scale. They do that. Like another kid's huge. Like he's a, he's a giant. Like, do we really need to weigh him? He gets pissed off when I've got to take off all of his clothes. Anyways, can't you take off like a pound for the clothes? We have really have to every single time. You're right. It's just kind of the same thing. So um, I think now as we're pushing forward with doing telemedicine, it's really interesting. And uh, that's why, you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you. Uh, you're also the chief physician of Renaissance periodization. Tell me a little bit yeah. about that. RP, uh, Renaissance Periodization Company, founded by uh, Nick Shaw and Mike Isretel, a couple of smart guys from U of M, which I won't hold that against them. I, I went to Michigan State originally, ended up transferring to UNC, but I'll always be a Spartan. But a um, couple of smart guys, they saw that like, hey, if we use science of exercise and nutrition, instead of kind of this BS stuff that you see all these marketers pushing online, and just kind of put our heads down and and do it this way it's it's the best way and we'll get results and that's what they did and then they got they made these like scientific templates and now they have an app and they have coaching and yeah. so i um my methods in the clinic and online were very similar so they said why don't you just join us we're very similar we can help each other and so that's what i did 
and now I kind of oversee some of their coaching and, and some of their app and template development and kind of overall try to push this idea of using science instead of BS for nutrition and exercise, which yeah. ultimately gets people healthier and leaner and whatever. Yeah, you know, I, I had a conversation with Nick a couple of years ago and he sent me a program. And I was, I was looking at this, like this, this, I mean, and I'm a fitness nutrition specialist and obviously do the, do the you know, fitness and personal training everything for a living. And I was like, well, this actually makes a ton of sense because the yeah. program that he sent me uh, was based off of the activity level and what was happening during that, uh, that specific day. Because everybody's like, oh, what's my BMR? Like, well, what's, what's your total daily energy expenditure? How much are you lifting? What's your volume? And your nutrition should change based off of that. And then when I looked at it, and then there was like a picture of like a deck of cards and like a piece of meat. I'm like, okay, that's tangible. Yeah. People can see that. Like they don't need to sit there. When I was doing fitness competitions, yes, I was weighing everything and that's completely different. Like you're going on stage, you're going next to somebody, you're comparing striations for striations. Yeah, you need to, you need to get down to that specific. But for most individu individuals that want to look great or like take their shirt off, like this made a ton of sense. Um, so when I saw you that you were represented with a RP as well. So that was, that was really cool. Yeah. All right, man, let, let's get into it. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. So U.S. News and World Report just came out and they said 40% of our nation is obese. And that, that's, that's not overweight. So over, over half our country is overweight. Where in the hell should people start? Where, what, what do you think the issue is? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a mismatch of our genetics and environment, you know, on a population level. So when you look at individual level, you know, I talk about this all the time, like, yeah, obesity is not a choice. People get really mad about that. It's not, not a choice either. We do have choices during the day, like you wake up in the morning, should you go to get the Starbucks Frappuccino that has 800 calories? Right. Or should you drink a protein shake or, you know, whatever. If you're going for a convenience, a protein shake, throw some coffee in there. Okay, so you, you increase your protein, you decrease all the sugar and yummy, easily overeaten calories. Um, yeah, that's technically a choice. Sure. You For lunch, you know, should you bring in your pre-prepped meal of chicken and broccoli and a little bit of rice? Or do you want to go out with your coworkers to Chick-fil-A or whatever right. the choice is at the moment? Um, standard American beige colored food. Yeah. Dinner time, sure, you can get home after a long day's work and go to the gym. That's your, you technically have that choice if you have the means, you know, of course you have kids and, and spouses, whatever, but let's say you have the means, but you're tired and you go home and your kids are, don't wanna eat whatever, uh, lean sirloin steak with some sort of vegetable and a sweet potato, whatever. It doesn't have to necessarily be that. I'm just kind of picking out higher quality, satiating, uh, lower calorie, high protein foods, yep. high fibrous foods. Or do you want to just, oh, it's so easy to grab a pizza because they'll eat that. It's convenient. You don't have to do much and you're tired. So what we have is this like our, our bodies, our genetics, uh, population scales, depending on your genetics, can kind of push you in a direction. And then you put ourselves in this environment where it's just, easy, easily overeaten food that's surrounding us and hitting us from not only hunger patterns, craving patterns, but also uh, cultural 
society patterns from our friends and family and, and everything, all these stresses. So like, what do we do? I don't know. I'm not a big fan of, of big brother coming in and basically going, you can't have sweets and, and that we know yeah. that doesn't, it, 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 okay. So if you look at some of these taxes on sodas, some of the, uh, when you look at the aggregate of data, there's some data in Mexico in uh, some of these other places, it seems to work. In other places, it doesn't seem to have an effect. But maybe something like that. But I, I don't know. I don't really know. Other other than having Big Brother step in and make legislation, we're going to have a population effect. I know on an individual uh, uh, standpoint, we can take someone and go. Are you ready? Like, yes, I'm ready. They're they're willing to go for it. They believe they can do it. And we can change, we can help them one-on-one -on -one and do it. But population level wise, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure what to do other than basically replace, you know, take everybody and put them on an island where you have to, <laughs> you, you got to go pick your berries and pull your vegetables yourself right. and go fishing yeah. and hunting uh, if you want meat. Otherwise, you're just going to basically be a vegetarian or vegan, you know. Yeah. So um, it's tough because, yeah, like the thing is you take the population, you you put them back in a time where we don't have the surrounding um, uh, surrounding yummy food, they're going to lose weight because it's, it's, it's impossible not to, um, but that's not going to happen. So I don't really have an answer. Yeah. You know, I, I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's laziness and convenience. Yeah. You know, I, we just want everything. And even if, even if Big Brother to step in, which they tried to in Chicago, a couple of years ago, they tried to put a soda tax on. But then they also started taxing things that had sugar in it, like, you know, maybe one of those like suja drinks or something, which is predominantly vegetables, uh, which you, you, can, you can go into it like fruit juice and all that sort of stuff. But yeah. like a soda versus, you know, if I'm going to have my kid drink a soda versus drink something that's, you know, kale and spinach and has like an apple in it or something. I'd much rather have them have that. Um, we're not going to talk about like the, the lack of fiber that that's going to happen. Right. In that. But it's, it's just really interesting. So people just got up in arms, you know, but you, you, you tax cigarettes and, oh, it makes sense because we know that this could cause cancer and premature death. But it just, you know, where does Big Brother step in? But yeah, laziness and convenience, uh, I think, is a really big issue. Um, now, you talk about when people want to lose weight. Uh, you're a big proponent of them lifting weights. And I saw a, a post uh, that this was interesting that you said when people lose fat, their metabolic rate actually drops. So if people were just reading headlines right now, they would be like, hey, I shouldn't lose weight or I shouldn't lift weights because yeah. my metabolism is going to go down. Yeah. So fat's metabolically active. And I, I think people are like, oh, I'm worried about my metabolism going down. It's like, don't worry about your basal metabolism. You start increasing your movement, um, you make up for the, the, the drop in metabolism. Every, no matter what, when you lose weight, your metabolism goes down. It doesn't matter if it's muscle, it doesn't matter if it's fat. Ideally, it would be fat because uh, your metabolism will be a little bit higher if you um, keep your muscle. But yeah, obviously, we, we want to lift weights to keep our fat-free muscle or a fat-free mass and be able to continue to use that to where we can burn more calories during the day. And then also, you know, I kind of have this hypothesis and I, I know a few other people do as well, that when you have more muscle, you have more um, active uh, storage depot or, or for glucose or sugar. Mm -hmm. 
and basically nutrient partitioning to where you're going to look and feel better and be metabolically uh, healthier in the long run. And you're just, you're just going to like the way you look better. It's not as PC because people don't want to talk about that as much. But I mean, if you want to be real, people like the way they look when they have a little bit more muscle, maybe not a ton of, obviously it's so hard to do. Uh, sure. um, uh, and, and that's another myth that people, you know, women think they're going to get too bulky or whatever. Uh, but um, yeah, that's, that's the goal. That's why I pr promote uh, weightlifting heavily as opposed to just cardio. I, ideally you would do both, but right. uh, um, if you could. Yeah. I mean, it's cyclical, right? We, we, we put on muscle tissue. We're able to uptake more glucose. Yeah. Uh, we're able to handle sugar better. If you do happen to have that pie on Thanksgiving or whatever the hell it is, and your body's able to use that rightly as opposed to be stored as fat. Yeah, right, you store so it as glycogen. Right, so exactly. And then that overflows and we're going we're to store fat. So it, that makes a ton of sense. And then when you do cardio, if you have more muscle tissue, to, type you know one or two, if you're going harder, you can actually get more force output out of that, which you can in turn burn more calories. Yeah. You know, so it, it just keeps going down and down and down. Uh, you mentioned women um, and muscle tissue. And I'd like to touch on that. Actually, that's in my notes. So I, I've been training people for 14 years from movie stars to C-suite executives. And most of the time when females come in out of the probably a couple hundred females I've trained, there is a small, small percentage where I saw like, we just are able to put on muscle like that. I think in the 14 years that there's been two females ever that yeah. were able to do that. Yeah, it's, po it's, yeah, it's possible, especially if they work really hard and eat a certain way. You see a lot of the, the CrossFit uh, type women, lots and lots of volume and then they have to eat a lot to keep up the performance so then you see them traps for days personally I, I i think it looks great but um you know some somewhere but you have you have to work pretty hard to do it yeah so why why can't a female put on a, why why do you think they're scared when they think of like looking at a weight that they, they pick that up even now I and mean, there's a lot more research out now, I and mean, there's a ton of bro science as you touched on the beginning. Yeah. But what, why do you think they're still afraid to pick up weights? Yeah, every so women, um, you know, what they tell me is they're afraid of looking bulky. That's what they mm -hmm. tell me. They want to continue having that more feminine look. And I say, look, it's really hard. You, yeah, sure. You don't have the hormonal milieu or whatever you want to say, the hormonal status of a guy sure. to to and even for guys it's it's hard to look i've worked out my whole life to continue to look like this. it's it's hard work but um uh so you just you know basically have to say look you, it's not going to happen you have to eat a certain way sure we can work to that if you really want it to but uh think of it more as just and yeah we don't like to use the word toning because it's kind of like a it's a kind of a bs term but if, right. if that's what helps them understand what it is yeah you're going to get a little bit more muscle you're going to lose a little bit of fat and you're going to look a little bit more toned if that's the right. term you want to use I, I don't really care it's fine to use that term as long as people understand it for what it is right and to get bulky you're going to have to put on a, a appreciable amount of muscle mass and that doesn't really happen too readily with women so think of it as just uh toning up i guess if, again yeah exactly i think a lot of women if you say add muscle then they immediately think bulk. Yeah. But, you know, if they're, you know, if they're used to the curling 10 pound pink dumbbells and I gave them a 20 pound pair of dumbbells and they did three sets of that, even to failure, they're not going to wake up tomorrow and have 
you know, Terminator arms. Yeah. Like muscle a, a cruise slowly. Exactly. So maybe you're a female that puts on muscle faster, but it, it's not going to be something where you wake up the next day. If you're like, okay, maybe I'm getting, maybe I'm getting a little too big for my liking. Okay. Then you can back off. But yeah. I, it, it's that easy. A, a lot of women, they will be like, I gained five pounds of muscle in like a week when I start working out. It's like, no, you, no, that's not what happened. What happened? And I see this all the time is that you do a hard, uh, resistance training workout and you get a little bit of cellular swelling and so your your legs look a little bit bigger it's probably not much your arms maybe a little bit but that 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 that's just an acute thing it's not actual muscle it's a little bit of cellular swelling maybe it ate some uh extra you know sugary stuff and got some extra glycogen or maybe it's just from tissue acute tissue damage uh, but it's not you didn't gain muscle and it's 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 really takes it takes um, some patience and, and just saying, nope, let's stick to this, believe in the plan, buy in, and, and then it's usually fine. Yeah, I mean, if you look at a lot of bodybuilders, they stop doing legs about two weeks out prior to a show because their just legs are so full. Yeah. yeah and, and then uh, uh, some of them, depending on what happens, like if they may do some hamstrings or some calves, but in mean, their quads, they could just get really tight and then they start cutting that down and they'll start seeing those striations. So, uh, I will tell a lot of my female clients, like, you know, when, if you're doing like a heavy leg day or then you're going to spin class and you're dancing on a bike, and your quads are going to be a little overloaded and they're going to look a little bit bigger. They're not going to be, yeah. you know, but give it a week or so and they're going to look much better and um, get a spray tan or something. It'll, it'll show it off even more. I mean, why do you think people go on stage and they get those like dark spray tans? It just, it looks better and, you know, it shows that definition a lot more. So there's a tip. If you want to look better, get a tan. <laughs> tanning will always help <laughs> yeah you know that's that's the thing like i like myself when i'm tan but i try to avoid these wrinkles and i haven't got botox yet and i want to be able to move my face so no it's it's a tough call doc it is tough i like having i have a southern california i, I used to be very pale because i'd be winter half the year it seemed like um but uh i can't avoid the sun here in san diego it's too hard i like it so yeah, I don't, feel, I don't feel bad for you for being in San Diego. I'm, I'm, I'm in Chicago. Yeah. I'm from Michigan, so I know. I know the yeah. deal of Chicago. Yeah, that's uh, California. Definitely not too bad. Uh, so you're a lipid specialist. What do you think is causing people to put on – I mean, we, we talked about a little bit with the obesity, but specifically if we're, if we're looking at, like, adipose tissue and, and if you're looking at a lipid profile, is there anything that you found that causes that – increases it more or that you know people handle things better yeah the, the issue is really what we call like central adiposity you know if you put fat around your leg like women like oh i hate the fat around my 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 thighs and my butt but that fat may actually be somewhat healthful or healthy uh and people are like how's that healthy it's like well our fats active it's hormonally active in fact people are like that's the largest endocrine hormone uh, organ we have in our body and it's thought that or seen the fat around your legs may actually secrete more healthful hormones if anything uh, it doesn't seem to be a negative um, a negative issue but the fat around your abdomen specifically like the visceral fat like you can't even pinch it yeah. uh, you kind of start increasing that waist circumference that's the stuff that it's close to our liver it gets into our organs causes all sorts of dysfunction and then these free fatty acids the fat that's there it's 
you, you lipolize uh, the fats that are there and they're flowing in our blood and really causing all of the abnormalities in our lipid panel. Um, the triglycerides get high, your HDL cholesterol gets low. You may or may not see changes in your LDL cholesterol, the stuff they call the bad um, stuff, but uh, that's really where the issue is. And then we get insulin resistance. So, you know, if you get people leaner in the abdomen and get them eating a slightly higher quality uh, diet, you tend to improve all of it. Blood yeah. pressure, blood pressure, blood uh, um, glucose, and uh, the dyslipidemia, the HDL, the triglycerides, and overall insulin sensitivity. That makes sense. So uh, what is, if somebody is obese or overweight, what's a good percentage? I mean, you know, people always talk about, you know, wanna, wanting to love the size they are and, all, um, you know, yeah. and no body shame or anything. But if you're obese and, and you're having these markers that obviously that you're not healthy, right? What's a good percentage of weight that they should look for right away? Is it like five, 10% and you start seeing yeah. big differences? Yeah, the clinical changes happen around that five to 10% of weight loss. It's not much because everybody's like, well, is the visceral fat hard to lose? It tends to be. That's what you lose in the beginning. So that's why a five to 10% weight loss, you know, even if you're 300, so if you're 300 pounds and you have blood pressure issues, you have your blood sugar is a little bit high and your HDL is a little bit low, your triglycerides are high. So 15 to 30 pounds, and if you keep that off, that tends, that would probably resolve most of that or at least mitigate it uh, a, a bit. So um, you don't have to go from 300 to 200 pounds, you go to 270. Yeah. Uh, and all of a sudden it's like, you see all these improvements. And that's because you, you lose a lot of that visceral fat, the stuff that's around your organs that you can't necessarily pinch in that early uh, phase. That's interesting because a lot of people who get to be, um, you know, two, 300 pounds plus, I think they automatically think that they need to get too skinny, right? Or yeah. just lose a bunch of weight as fast as possible. Uh, and he's like, I think, you know, back when Biggest Loser started, that's when we first started seeing all of that and people dropping all this weight so fast and then it went back on. Now, yeah. is, is there any, when people lose weight, 100, 200 pounds, something like that, is it much harder for them to keep that weight off? What, what has happened on a hormonal level and a metabolic rate? It just drops so, so much down. I've seen numbers where people need to work out twice as long to keep that off. Is that complete fallacy or is there truth behind that? Yeah, there's what's called a, that metabolic adaptation. So no matter what, when you lose weight, your metabolic rate goes down. The question is, does it go down further than what we expect? And that's kind of the term metabolic adaptations. Mm -hmm. And um, in those biggest losers, these were extreme cases where they're basically starving themselves and doing excessive hours of cardio just to win a, a, a contest as opposed to, you know, I, I have patients that have lost 100 to 200 pounds who um, did it through lifestyle, not necessarily, I've had some who did it through bariatric surgery and medicines and whatever, but without those, and they did it relatively reasonably, uh, but over the course of a year or two, whereas these biggest losers, it's, I don't know what it is, six months. A few, a yeah, month. it, was a, it was a few months, and I think yeah. it lasted longer. I mean, the, the last season was, uh, I don't even know if it had that many people watching it, but I, yeah. it out. I, I know a producer on the show. But yeah, it was, it was a few months where they were dropping 60, 100 pounds, and then they came back and I lost even 
even more weight, but it was really interesting yeah. what happens afterwards. Yeah. So you look at their metabolic rates and this is what, you know, my buddy at NIH, he and his team looked at what happened to these people and, and their metabolic rates dropped, their basal metabolic rates dropped a lot. And so they had a lot of metabolic adaptation, but in, in a normal population, you don't see that level of metabolic adaptation. You do see somewhere between zero to maybe 10, 15%, which means that if you're, let's say if you're burning 2000 calories or you should be burning 2000 calories after you lose X amount of weight, right. that means you might be burning, you know, around 1800 calories at, at baseline. So you, 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 it went down by about 10% than what we'd expect some, somewhere around there. So, you know, you don't need to drop weight like the people in the biggest loser. In fact, we don't recommend that there are studies that show maybe faster weight loss, um, gives more success in the beginning and it's all relative to, you know, mm -hmm. instead of losing weight at a rate of 0.5% of your weight per week. So if you're 400 pounds and you lose it at two pounds a week, you lose it at more like one, one and a half percent. So four to six pounds a week in the beginning. Again, this is someone that's 400 pounds. Sure. And then it's, it's, you know, of course, as you lose weight, it starts to slow down, but, um, uh, I don't really worry about the metabolic adaptation so much. I worry about overall consistency and sticking to the lifestyle that we know is going to help them keep the weight off. So I, you know, I just did a video on the factors of long-term weight loss, which a lot of it is, yeah, you got to find some sort of diet. That's the appetite is the biggest driver. Don't worry about the metabolic rate drops. Yeah. Appetite's the most important to take care of. And then also, the decreases in, in spontaneous movement and whatever your energy kind of goes down. So forcing yourself to really figure out a way to stay uh, active. And then if you can do it over the long term, really increasing your physical activity, and then you can ramp up your intake. So you don't have to be on a 1200 calorie or 1500 calorie or whatever diet forever. You really ramp up your calories. So um, you can fuel your performance type of thing. But that's really, it's kind of a, a privilege if you're able to do that. Like, again, if you're working full time, you got kids, you know, it's hard to get that hour of really moderate activity a day. So you do the best you can. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. What is the recommended activity for someone if, if they're just starting right now and they're listening to this podcast and you're, you're a BCD specialist here. Yeah. And a lot of people say I played high school football 30 years ago. Well, that's great. You can't, you can't do the same thing that you did. You've got a lot yeah. of mileage on your body right now. So what, what would your recommendation recommendations be for those people? Anybody check out um, Dr. Spencer's YouTube. He likes SpongeBob. He's on there too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, what would your recommendation recommendations for people to be to, to start? Like if it's been so long or, or maybe their first time trying to lose weight. Yeah. A lot of times I get people on the treadmill just, or what it doesn't have to be on the treadmill. If they can walk around the park or somewhere around there, start with like 10, 15 minutes and just keep increasing it from there. And then if possible, uh, yeah, I don't tell people to go out and start running. That's, probably a recipe for disaster if you have a lot of weight to lose. And again, cardio or, or exercise is a, is a distant second to diet. So I start people walking 
And then I really want to get them in the weight room, if at all possible. Some people are just like, I'm not ready for that. So we get them walking, we get them losing weight through diet. And all of a sudden they're like, you know what? I'm ready. I, I want to get a day or two a week of resistance training. And then we usually do like a full body, very like one to two sets, relatively white, lightweight. So they're not too super sore and they don't hate it. And then we progress from there. And eventually ideal situation, three to four days a week of, of resistance training where they really get into it. They're doing maybe some sort of high interval training, high intensity interval training, and then low intensity cardio, but like that's way down the, down the line where they can handle. And even then you might not even get to that point. They may just not want to do that. And you just want to lift weights. Some people hate lifting weights, but they'll do it a day or two a week. So start them walking, progress from there, I think. So, I mean, that makes a ton of sense. I, I think people, especially in the personal trainer world, they'll see somebody coming in that's you know 300 pounds. Uh, and then they try to beat the crap out of them and show them how out of shape they are. Well, if you've got yeah. that person doing one body weight squat, that person weighs 300 pounds. Yeah. Now compound that by 10 squats, you know, volume wise, they just did 3000 pounds, you know, it's it take a yeah. little, bit of, little bit of the weight away, but, but, you know, we're just ease of math here. Um, you know, and then they're sore for a week, literally because they can't walk and then they get the yes. So yeah. I, I think that's, really sound advice. Um, what about rest, recovery, supplementation? Everybody's like, what pill can I pop? And I know you're big on this. Like people, like you dump apple cider vinegar all over yourself, <laughs> which I saw that video. That's pretty good. But what, what can people do? And what are the things that you see people doing? You wish you like, I would just wish you would stop doing that. Yeah. The, it, I mean, literally you should see my DMS, but even in person, when I see people that are looking they go, what supplement should I take? I'm like, just, if I could tell you this, just get the supplement thing out of your mind. They're not going to do anything. You know, I, I have, I'm, I'm doing a peer review on, on articles and, and chapters and textbooks. And they mention supplements like taking this and that. It's like, the, like fit, like these fit teas and whatever. I have them all. I have all my props because I do all these videos. Yeah. The, the amount of weight loss that they may help with is so minuscule and so small that it's, it's not even worth even thinking about. The fact that you even have that in your mind is probably a red flag. In fact, people, you know, I was just doing a video on how people that actually use these supplements tend to do worse. And it's not because they cause weight gain. It's because they have this quick fix mindset, uh, unfortunately. So I just, my goal is to get that mindset, just like, forget about the supplements. They will not do anything. The sooner you forget about these stupid supplements, the sooner you're going to be on your path to success. And I understand that when I was young, I wanted to gain a ton of muscle. So I was looking for any edge. I was looking at how these stupid myostatin inhibiting protein powders that were just all marketing. But I was like, sure. whatever, I, I, I want to gain muscle. Um, so I, I, I understand, although... Maybe it was a placebo for me because every time I'd even work harder in the gym and eat more with it. So if somehow these help you like just ramp up your activity or uh, your efforts, fine. But most of the time what I see is that they just want something that will do the work for them. So if you understand yes. that you have to work hard, like there is no getting around it. There's absolutely no getting around it. The sooner you accept that, the sooner you're going to be successful, the sooner you understand it's all about the consistency around working hard and preparing and setting your, your um, environment up for success, the sooner you're going to be successful. Like 
just forget about the freaking supplements. But that's the one I see all the time. It drives yeah. me insane. Yeah, I, 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 I get that. And I see all these like teas and all sorts of different stuff and there might be a time and place, but you, you talked about it. Like if you're just trying to lose weight and you've got a lot of weight to lose and if you're getting on stage and you've got those minuscule things and maybe those little itty bitty things, maybe the little edge, you know, might do something. Uh, yeah. And professional bodybuilders are juiced up like no other, you know? Yeah. So like, they still need to work hard. They need to put in the work. They're, they, they're incredible athletes, but you know, they do. That's when the point where all of that yeah. is coming together. So you need to spend thousands of dollars on this stuff. Like, you know, I think most people, they take a multivitamin, maybe a fish oil or some D or something. If you're not getting the sun, you're probably okay. Yeah. Like you want to get nutty with it. You want to get some blood work done to see if you're have expensive pee, like all the stuff you're taking. Maybe that's an option for you, but yeah. Um, yeah supplementation, huge. Now, where have you gotten things wrong in your career? Have you ever been like, I got that wrong. I was completely just missed that. Uh, so early in my career, I was kind of indoctrinated by the low carb doctors, famous ones. They've written books with the Atkins and all these people. These, these guys that are pretty um, prolific in, in that world. And it made sense, the whole lipid storage, insulin, carbohydrate hypothesis. And it, it really wasn't until I was, but that's, so in medical school, you're kind of drinking from a fire hose. You don't have time to search the literature uh, at the same time of just learning the, the foundations of pathology, uh, physiology, and all that type of stuff. So you, you listen to your elderly doctors and you take their advice as gospel. That's that you're supposed to learn from them. So that's, it wasn't necessarily... Um, not that I got it wrong, but it was more like I had to go on my own journey to kind of figure it out. Now I still yeah. like a low carbohydrate diet for a lot of people because it just means eating protein and vegetables, which I think, you know, it's probably a good thing when it's coming to losing weight, but, uh, you can still eat carbohydrates and lose weight. You can eat higher fat and lose weight too. Uh, but it does come down to the energy balance, the calories in calories out, and maybe yeah. one helps you with satiety more than the other. Uh, that's probably, that was probably an issue before, like, but that was early on in, in my career. I think through the years, I've kind of figured out more coaching methods. There was enough, there was a point where I feel like I had too much empathy yeah. and that's kind of a weird thing, but it, it drains you, uh, from a caretaker slash clinician, uh, coach standpoint. If you have too much empathy, you can you burn out. So you, you, you feel too much. So I think I had had that for too much. And so I might have gone a little bit the other way, but, uh, uh, that's about it. I'd say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know my wife was, um, she got her master's in science and she was pre-med for you know her undergrad. And she's like, I, I don't know if I can do this. Cause I can't, she's like, I just, I'm too, I too I, she's like empathetic with people. And then she's yeah. like, I just know it would affect me way too much you yeah. know, to get bad news all the time. So uh, I have a lot of respect for doctors, especially ones that do are able to put themselves in people's shoes. Some just get like completely just zoned out. And I see like you for your own mental health, you may need to, yeah. to do that. Yeah. Uh, it, here's a question I get a lot. You know, what about like polyunsaturated fatty acids? What's your thought on that and vegetable oils? Uh, and a lot of people demonizing them, you know, like I'd rather have a pile of sugar versus that. 
What do you what do you think on that? Yeah, you see these gurus online and they just they just make things up. It's it's just because they want to be different, they want to be contrarian, they want to go against the American Heart Association. And the thing is like they they pull out some some truths but then cherry pick what they want to fit their biases. It's really weird. So the the truth is that yeah, saturated fat and and polyunsaturated fat and monounsaturated fat, they're actually different types of fatty acids within these umbrella terms. It's all based on the biochemistry of the chains of the carbons and whether they have double bonds or not. But saturated, saturated fat, everybody's like, oh, saturated fat clogs your arteries. Well, no, the, it's, it's more that certain saturated fatty acids, depending on the food that it comes packaged in, may increase your LDL cholesterol, the stuff that... Uh, we feel is, is the biggest risk factor when it comes to lipids for increasing atherosclerosis. So if you look at like butter has a lot of palmitic acid and that's a, a one of these um, longer chain saturated fatty acids that tends to have this uh, increase in LDL cholesterol. Now, if actually, if you look at the same, if you look at yogurt, a whole fat yogurt has the same amount of palmitic acid, um, doesn't have the same effect. So it also depends on what food is packaged in. Yeah. And then you compare it to like, let's say, um, walnuts, which have a lot of uh, omega-3 and 6 polyunsaturated fatty acids. It also has uh, some fiber in it as well. If you swapped out that butter for walnuts in what we call like a eucaloric uh, way, meaning the same amount of calories of butter for walnuts, you will actually drop your LDL cholesterol. So what, what these people um, are going to say, though, is the polyunsaturated fats are bad for you, and it's because they actually increase inflammation, and they, they, they cherry-pick a lot of things. The, the truth is, if you're getting most of your foods from whole, unprocessed foods, uh, and you're, you're getting what they're packaged in, the, the, there's, when you get nuts and fish, they actually come packaged with certain antioxidant uh, and vitamin type of um, uh, nutrients, you actually decrease the oxidation of these uh, fatty acids. And overall, we see a pattern that looks to be an improvement of health. So it's just a lot of these people are just, they want to be different to be different. No, I don't think you should drink corn oil or whatever, which yeah. is what they're, you know, they, they basically go, we should just put corn oil on everything. No, there could be an increased risk of oxid oxidizing these um, fatty acids if you're cooking with corn oil, uh, but people shouldn't be doing that anyway. Um, right. Anyway, so you take a little bit of truth, you spin it, whatever. The, yeah, like I said, the truth is really, you know, focus on nuts, seeds, fish, and whole types of foods. Don't drink butter. Uh, <laughs> probably don't drink corn oil either. Right. Um, eat a healthier, kind of more plant-based type of style. Again, now that's a whole other thing because you could get into you know, what's plant-based and whatever. But that's yeah, okay. that's kind of my stance there. Okay, so eat whole food for the most part. Eat some vegetables. Probably you know have have, have some fruit. Eat lean protein if that's your thing. We're not going to go get in that carnivore and plant paradox yeah, and all that sort of right. stuff. And you know, like that's a whole rabbit hole. Yeah. All right, last last question. I'll let you go. I know you want to uh, get that nice pump. So where do you think the the future of medicine in like uh, obesity weight loss is heading? Yeah, we're, we're seeing really cool medicines out there. So like, again, from a population standpoint, I don't know what we're going to do to improve the environment. 
But I do know from an individual treatment standpoint, we're seeing very cool pharmacological treatments that eventually, once you put them all together, uh, they're probably going to be as good as bariatric surgery. You know, again, like what, you have to take this for the rest of your life? Maybe, yeah. you know, unfortunately, because of those feedback mechanisms um, for some, not everyone, there'll be a lot of successful individuals without using medicine, not a lot, but a, a good percentage. Uh, but for those that just can't do it due to hunger, we're going to, we see these medicines that just cut out hunger and appetite. We're getting better. We see some right now, but these, these ones are getting, they're so powerful that they're just going to basically shut off those signals and make you feel normal. That's what patients feel when they're like, wow, I didn't have to go for seconds or thirds. Like, even though I, like they always try to not go for a second when you're like only eat one portion of this. They're like, I, I couldn't help myself. I couldn't stop eating. And you may say, though, that's, you know, laziness or whatever. It's like it's, yeah. there, there may be some psychology involved there, but it's a, it's a physiologic drive is a, is a lot of it, too. You give them a medicine and they're like, I ate one portion and I felt normal. Like I was done. That was good. And so that's what these medicines, they, they're not like fat burners. They just work centrally in the brain to shut off um, certain patterns of appetite and so uh that's the future and i mean we're seeing it we're seeing all sorts of cool stuff i, I go to the conferences every year maybe not this year because of covid but sure. uh every year I, I see the the brand new studies that they just released and they do it at these conferences and it's always interesting it's like wow and then i use once they eventually get released i do use the medicines in my patients and it's pretty cool uh to see um, if they struggle again, I don't just give yeah. medicines out to everybody, but like struggling. Okay, let's try medicine. And not everybody responds either. A lot. Some people do have a more psychological component where you can, you could give them bariatric surgery and pump them full of all sorts of medicines, and they'll eat through it because it's it wasn't physiologic. But uh, for the patients where it's physiological, it's it's like miracle. Wow. Well, uh, Doc, I appreciate your time. I know you're gonna get that uh, get that workout in. A sick pump. Get that sick pump, that sarcoplasmic pump. High reps or low reps? Where are you going today? Medium reps, volume. It's usually, I usually go. Uh, well, not usually, but it's going. It's high reps, high reps, ten to twenty. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, you guys can add muscle tissue, whether whatever rep range you're in. Yeah. Check, 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 check out uh, Doctor Nadolski online. Uh, so your Instagram, Doctor Nadolski. Uh, Twitter. You've got. Or you got TikTok, you're, you're everywhere, YouTube. I if it, I, yeah, YouTube is the new one. So if you want to check that out, just, you know, type in Dr. Spencer Nadolski and you'll find Yeah, you popped up right away. I checked out your SpongeBob video. Nice. Perfect. <laughs> All right, Doc, appreciate it. Uh, thanks for coming on the Fatter Future Podcast. I'm Joey Thurman to your health. And don't be a fatty, F-A-D-D-Y. See, you, you got that. Be a part of the future. Cheers. Thanks, Doc, for coming on this episode. And next week, if you're in the health and fitness industry and you haven't heard of this man, I don't know where you've been hiding, what books you haven't been reading, because Paul Chuck of the Czech Institute is absolutely legendary. He spawned the careers of many top health and fitness experts worldwide with his Czech Institute. He speaks all over the world, world-renowned, world, 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 world. Can I say that enough? Paul Czech legendary man next week. I can't even have enough time to tell you how much we talk about. 
fitness, nutrition, how much information is in his head, or actually, is it in his head, next week on the Fat or Future podcast. And make sure to go to Himalaya.com forward slash diet to check out my diet crash course. You can listen to the first episode for free and use code diet for two weeks for free. You don't want to miss that. Make sure to subscribe and review this podcast. Tell your friends at Fat or Future Podcast on Instagram. The Fat or Future Podcast is available everywhere you listen to podcasts and make sure you follow me on all social media channels and troll away at Joey Thurman Fit. Take care and don't be a fatty.